every successful person to the, to a person works off of a vision, a set of goals and a set of objectives that are short term. So if I couple, Hey, this is the vision, this is where I'm going. And I'm, I'm going to try not to compromise on that. Now I may change it depending on how times change and my beliefs change or my values change, but this is where I'm going and now aligning my actions. So when a challenge comes or a decision comes, aligning my actions to get me toward that, those together, it always works. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here at the awesome Capitol Grill City Center with my guest, Ryan Sitton, Commissioner Sitton. Yeah, but I don't like that. Just call me Ryan. Okay. That's how I want to call me Ryan. My staff, even people in Austin. And it drives them nuts, too, because they, they're like, uh, we don't know how to do that. We only know how to say commissioner. <laughs> yeah, just Ryan, please. And you are the commissioner at the Railroad Commission of Texas. Yes, ma'am. In Austin. Our lovely, a- our lovely capital. Yes, ma'am. Before we get into it, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes, and thank you in advance. So, in fact, give this show a lot of reviews because I'll be able to brag <laughs> later that man, when Ryan was on, we got a whole lot of really great reviews. Yeah, that'd be that'd be helpful. Actually, if you want to take a second and do it too, that'd be cool. I will. I'll review. Yeah, if I yeah. do a good job, I'll be like, man, that Ryan guy really knocked it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I've already had a Ryan on, so okay, that Ryan, Ryan Ray. Actually, guy. yeah, actually, Ryan Ray interviewed you one time. Gosh, I had him on a couple of weeks ago. He's another fellow okay. po- podcaster. Okay. So before we get into your current position, mm-hmm. let's kind of back up and go through where you got started. Okay. Well, if you want to go all the way back to the way back, I actually grew up in the Dallas area. And the reason I, I talk about that is people often today ask about you know, how I got into being a railroad commissioner, entrepreneur, those sort of things. And um, you know, really, it was for my parents. My parents actually were both teachers, which is, so they weren't entrepreneurs, but- my dad was always very much a do-it-yourself type of guy. I mean, in my whole life growing up, never remember once a handyman coming to the house. I mean, if the water heater broke or the roof needed to be fixed or the car was was broken, we fixed it. So you, I grew up, I, I think, with this idea that anything you put your mind to, you just do. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't have much money, so we couldn't afford those type of things. Right. Uh, now, I never wanted for anything. I mean, I had a fantastic home life growing up and parents loved me. Really, really smart, smart people. So grew up with a lot of advantages. But anyway, got out of high school, went to a small school that my mom taught at, went to Texas A&M, the finest academic institution on the planet. Well, I won't hold it against you. <laughs> I was going to say, I just, I just deleted half the reviews. I <laughs> but yeah, very proud Aggie and uh, got a mechanical engineering degree from there. Got out of school. First job out of college was with Oxy. Okay. Uh, Oxy, yeah. Oxy Petroleum. Mm-hmm. And I actually started in their chemicals division and then uh, spent a little time with Oxy. Then went to Marathon, uh-huh. worked for both refining and did a little upstream work for them. Then went to a small consulting company. And by the way, all this was in Houston. So graduated from uh, A&M and moved down here. Been okay. Here ever since. And then in 2006, I started my own company. 
And our company, my company was called Pinnacle. In fact, still is around today. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say that sounds very familiar. Yeah, well there is a lot of Pinnacles. So Pinnacle oh, Pipeline, okay. Pinnacle Pigging, I mean a lot of oil and yeah. gas companies. So I'll explain what Pinnacle is in a minute, but but it is still around and and we I'm no longer the CEO there or directly involved anymore. I stepped down to be a railroad commissioner, be in public office, but very proud of that company too. Uh, we started in 06 and it just took off. The company Pinnacle are are their mission now is to kind of make the world reliable. So they go into oil and gas operations, refineries, chemical plants, any big industry, mining operations, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical facilities, wastewater treatment facilities, when I mean, you name it, they want to be as reliable as possible. No, no equipment breaking, no downtime, no leaks. And Pinnacle is really the world's leader, I think. Like I said, I'm not directly involved anymore. They're, they're kind of the biggest company in the world that specializes in implementing systems that help track all that stuff. Okay. So started out of my garage. And this is now 18 years ago, and it just took off. Today, the company employs something like, I just was reading recently, they're up to almost 800 employees that do business all over the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. No, I can't take credit, like I said, for all that. We got to like 500 while I was the CEO there. And the last three years, they've added a little bit more. Oh, so yeah, you're not directly involved. And they're like, oh, here, three, exactly. more, three more people. Got three old man of- sitting out of the way. <laughs> go ahead and get, really get busy. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, really. But that was that really my entrepreneurial spirit got charged up by starting and growing that company. Today, my time really is focused on being a, a railroad commissioner. In fact, I came straight here from Austin and spend my time as a regulator engaging the public and engaging with, with the kind of challenges that, that our entire industry faces, not even just in Texas, but globally. But still always uh, the entrepreneurial spirit drives me. I mean, I'm in the real estate business now. In fact, just got involved in a resort up in Tennessee. I started Tried to start a, a tricycle company. Uh, tricycle right now, yeah. So it's a whole lot of fun stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of interesting, kind of random stuff. <laughs> my, my kids actually say, "Hey, Dad, maybe you should just pick one thing and focus on." <laughs> okay. Well, it is. It's the railroad commissioner, right? It yeah, is it's the commission. That so. takes most of my time. So, what made you run for railroad commissioner? So, going back to when I was when Pinnacle was starting to grow. So this is two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. We were really kind of hitting stride, and and. That was my first time to get exposed really to politics. I and mean, prior to that, other than voting, I had no real political engagement. But I started meeting some of the local elected officials. Uh, we, the company, I moved the company to Pasadena, mm-hmm. suburb here of Houston, for those who don't know. And started meeting like the mayor and the city council people there, ended up meeting the state rep there. And shortly after moving the company there, the state rep I got to know was in a fairly heated election with in the general election in for the first time ever, I donated to a politician. I may have made donated like twenty bucks or something before, but really, it was like a, it was a four figure donation, which was a huge amount for me at the time. Yeah, and man, that was it. I was on a radar screen, sort of having congressmen come by and visit with me, and started getting involved in you know, a lot of good people across the across the the spectrum. But the thing that always stuck out to me was when I would really ask questions about the things that entrepreneurs think about, like. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about tax reform, well, you you tax me based on EBITDA, but I pay for mm-hmm. that out of cash flow, and those are not the same thing. Right. Or when you talk about energy policy, I mean, why is it that, for example, the Keystone XL pipeline was so important? I mean, you'd hear the the, the political talking points. Oh, yes, we got to get access to all that oil, but why? You know, what? Why is having access to that heavy sour crude oil from Canada so important when we got like almost unlimited? light, sweet crude coming out of West Texas. And and no no one in politics understood that. Yeah. And it really started to hit me. You know, I'm an engineer by background. 
and you start looking at the landscapes, how many engineers are there that are entrepreneurs now serving in public office? It's exceptionally few. Oh, yeah. How many of them actually have an impact on regulated energy? I might be the only one in the nation. And so I was drawn to get more and more involved because I I felt like this is an area that if I put my time and energy into this, I I could really have a positive impact. And how rewarding would that be if I was able to do that? Now, like I said, you know, railroad commissioners, not a job to get if you want to be famous. (laughs) No one knows who their railroad commissioner is. Know who their like mayor and dog catcher are than know. Well, right, and then and then there's the people that don't even know what the railroad commission oh, totally. is because they're like, oh, it says railroad, so that must have something. No, 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 no. You're the train guy, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. In fact, I just got a text. I'm not kidding. Last night from my <laughs> aunt, this this exact text. Hey, Ryan. A friend of mine knows that I'm related to a railroad commissioner and they want to know what the chances are of the high-speed rail project being completed from Dallas to Austin. And you would think, and this is my aunt, right? My aunt. And she's like, so I'm passing it on to you to see if you have the answer. You would think that she would know. Actually, Ryan has nothing to do with trains, right? But no, not even she knows. And so it's like the worst kept, or the best kept secret in politics, whatever, is that we do zero, not one single solitary thing with trains. So to your audience members who are not in Texas or not in real in the upstream business right. uh, to remind them, I'm glad you said that, that we are the energy regulator, oil and gas production, pipelines, coal mines. I mean, we regulate that. You have to get permits from us. You have to follow our rules. So that's what the railroad commission does. So yeah, that was, I got drawn into this thinking, man, it's such an amazing time, such a transformative time in energy in the state of Texas and in the world. And right now regulation energy policy are, I think, I think the things that we do today will really have ramifications, maybe for generations. And I can even talk some specifics about that. But, yeah, that's what got me into it. Yeah. And it, uh, y'all actually help the United States federal government out with a lot of the oil and gas stuff here. I actually had uh, Terry Cannon on with the Texas Pipeline Association sure. mm-hmm. uh, a while back, and uh, he discussed that. So, you know, it's, it's great that we can help Mexico and, you know, with the pipeline going to Canada and mm-hmm. just – it's amazing what our industry is doing across the board. It is. So it sounds like you had quite the advantage growing up, but what were some of those challenges? Sure. Well, you know, and you're right. I, I think when you talk about advantages, I think there is no advantage that a kid can have greater than two parents who love them and love that. Kid. When you when you go to home every day, you know, my parents love me and they're going to be there for me. What a huge advantage that is. And we don't really appreciate how many kids don't have that. Right. Right. And then plus that two parents who were both college educated. My parents were both the first kids in their families ever to go to college. So I grew up with an expectation that, Hey, Ryan, you're going to, you are going to go to college. Right. So I just, it was just a given. Right. So that kind of, that kind of pressure or, or maybe support that kind of expectation. Plus I'll tell you that the little things like dad, I can remember still to this day sitting in, sitting outside our house and we lived in a little, you know, three bedroom, two bath house in, in Irving, Texas, sitting outside to look at the stars and my dad talking about astrophysics with me, you know, talking about what a neutron star is and a supernova and like gravitational forces. And, and as a young kid, you're like, dude, I'm unlocking the keys of nature. I mean, really, it's inspirational, right? So what huge advantages that was to grow up with that kind of support, that kind of love and that kind of, you know, in, inspiration. The challenges are, I mean, we never had any money. I mean, it was, there was never extra money around, but I think that also was an advantage to some degree. I, I will tell you that, this, that today I'm really blessed and I've got three kids and I actually think a lot about the fact that how do I give my kids the same advantages that I had in that they didn't, you know, I, I wanted for things and I knew the value of a dollar. And there's, there's, I think it's easy for kids who grow up in households where they don't 
experience that to really have a disadvantage. And I actually share that with my kids. I'm like, look, you know, you have a lot of resources. You're going to have access to a lot of things that most kids won't have. And it's your responsibility to do things with that, that have a positive impact on the world and not to lose sight of the fact that not everybody has that. Right. So anyway, I say the challenges though were, you know, growing up, I never knew anything about the oil and gas business. I never knew anything about really a lot of industries from healthcare to transportation, automotive industry. I mean, because my parents weren't in business and we didn't really tr- move in those circles. And it was just a, it was kind of alien to me. So getting into college, if you'd asked me what I wanted to do, man, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew I didn't want to be in education per se, although I really appreciate what my parents did. I thought I wanted to go do something, build something, but I mean, I, I, I learned that. And so the, I didn't realize I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I really was in my probably early thirties when this really started. When it, in fact, it kind of happened to me versus me causing it. People don't know the last job I had at the small consulting company, I was fired from. Oh, really? So, yeah, I was fired from my last job. That's how I started my own business. <laughs> so it wasn't really inspirational that now is the time I will go start my. It was like, oh, well, I'm fired. Maybe now's the time, right? <laughs> right. What else do I have to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think, I think that kind of just not even realizing those opportunities was a challenge. But to some degree, I think they, I realized it when the time, when the time came. Awesome. You talk really fast and it's uh, only been 12 minutes. Oh, I can go for a long time. So go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I mean, so, you know, one thing that when you think about challenges, right, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, everybody grows up with different challenges. And I think that often you know, we forget that we have a lot of life on this planet, right? Like at the end of the day, the average lifespan is whatever, 70 years old, 72 years old. And, you know, I hear like I was just up at A&M recently. And, and I still stay very involved in everything from the engineering department to scholarship programs. And, you know, one thing that, that I think, for example, one specific statistic at A&M still today, 25% of the kids showing up at A&M are first generation college students. And one of the conversations I hear people talking about is, well, Hey, you know, we need more scholarship money and we need to attract better students and we attract more higher. Like when you look around the country and, and you say, well, here's, here's a kid that man is a really at just phenomenal student, but we don't have the scholarship dollars to get them to come to A&M. And I turn and I say, no, wait a minute. I thought I heard that like next year alone, they're going to reject like 8,000 applicants at A&M. In other words, we're going to get, you're going to get like 14,000 applicants. You only can accept six. Why do we need more scholarships again? I mean, is there, is there some problem with the 8,000? I mean, do we want to, if you have more scholarships, aren't you just going to reject more kids now that you're attracting more to come here? And the reason I say that is, you know, when you think about opportunities and challenges, I'm telling myself, so I, I graduated in the bottom 50% of my class uh, at a small private school that my mom taught at. Got out, went to AM. I graduated with a 3.006. So 3.0 exactly almost. And I, the reason I say that is a lot of times we tend to, in, I guess I'll say society today, we tend to equate academic excellence with broad excellence. And it just isn't true. Yeah. In fact, you know, you, I know one of the topics you want to talk about is books and I can, I can, I can talk about books all day long. One on that covers this topic is a book uh, by a woman named Angela Duckworth called Grit. Phenomenal book. And I, she uses grit. And in fact, the subtitle is the power of, of passion and perseverance, I think is the subtitle. And I, I kind of equate what she calls grit to the idea of perseverance. Mm-hmm. But in her book, she, she walks through a lot of statistics on people who are successful mm-hmm. in any capacity. It can be politics, academia, research, entrepreneurship. It can be private business. And what they found in sports, what they have found is that we tend to, as a society, put a lot of value on talent 
kind of raw talent, God-given talent. Her research has shown actually that's not it. It's grit. It's perseverance. That that your your willingness to work through and past obstacles is more important than raw talent. That nine times out of ten, the guy who is or the girl who's willing to put in the extra effort to go the extra mile to work the ex, work a little bit harder, they will beat the person with natural talent nine times out of ten. Because because it's natural talent and it just it's automatically there versus where someone that doesn't have that natural talent wants to work yeah. harder, right? Yeah, or they're willing to. I mean, I, I think that we use a quote here, uh, John D. Rockefeller, mm-hmm. oil, your oil podcast, mm-hmm. listeners like this. John D. Rockefeller was once asked, so he was well known to be a really kind of quiet, stolid guy and very serious, but in some measures, I think the most successful businessman of all time, certainly in the top 10, right? Yeah. I think in today's dollars would have been worth something like $300 billion. billion yeah. Anyway, he was asked one time, you know, what do you think is important to success? And I'm going to mess this quote up a little bit, but it was something to the effect of, I think there's no quality more important to success than perseverance. It overcomes everything, even nature. This is Rockefeller, the greatest, right. in some capacities, the greatest businessman of all time. So yeah, I think that we, we, we tend to equate those. And I think that goes back to this idea of academia. I mean, academia is a, a learning knowledge. Achieving knowledge is really important, but it's those who translate that knowledge into skills that really go out and make an impact on the world. I love football analogies. You know, I, of course you do. I, I'm, a, I'm a flag football player, even still to this day. So um, you look on Facebook, you'll see some really embarrassing pictures. Anyway, if you think about the guy, I, I know what it takes to be a fantastic wide receiver. I do. Running routes, catching balls, scoring touches. I have the knowledge. But no NFL scouts are coming and beating down my door to play football. Why? Because I'm not actually big and fast and strong. I can't catch the ball, right? So it's right. the skill, not the knowledge that is important. And I will tell you, that's that that applies to every single aspect of our lives. That's, so you yeah. and I are having a conversation. I'm brain dumping a whole bunch of stuff. Your listeners out there going, hmm, that's interesting. But right now they have knowledge. Do they take that knowledge and transfer it into skills? Well, that takes training. That takes perseverance. It takes practice. And those are the people that go off and do fantastic things, become CEOs of companies, you know, become you know, really impactful public servants like presidents and congressmen. And right. I mean, it's it's you get back to the idea of what challenges are there in life. I think it is those challenges that teach us perseverance that, that show us where we have to develop those skills. And if we put those things to play, put those things to use, then that's how the doors of real leadership and real opportunity will open. So let's kind of touch base on exactly what you do now at the Railroad Commission. So the Railroad Commission is an 800-ish person agency, as I said, that regulates all of the oil and gas production and pipeline and transportation and even midstream operations to some degree in the state of Texas onshore and also coal mining, which is a sort of small piece of what we do from a staff perspective. But the big chunk is oil and gas production. So if you want to drill a well in this state, you have to go to the Railroad Commission to get a permit and you have to follow our rules when you drill that well. And right. It can be a production well, it can be a disposal well, any, any well that has to do with oil and gas. Same thing with pipelines. You want to build a pipeline in the state, you have to come to us to get a permit and you have to follow right. our rules. As a railroad commissioner, I have really two functions. I'll say three, three functions that, that all marry together. The first one is the operation of the agency. There are actually three railroad commissioners and the three together, uh, and I'll explain why there's three in a minute, but the three together have, we're sort of a three-headed monster that, <laughs> that oversees the day-to-day operation. Now, there is an executive director who's kind of like the CEO. Right. The three of us are the board of directors, if you will, but we're a very engaged board of directors. Right. So that's that's the first chunk. The second chunk is we are like judges. We have this sort of quasi-judicial capacity. If, say, somebody wants to put in a disposal well 
and somebody else says, ooh, I don't want you to put that disposal well there. Well, there's an argument. There's a case. And that case gets heard in the Railroad Commission's hearings division. And eventually, we, the three commissioners, will be the judges in that case. We'll vote which way that case should go, adhering to the rules and, and traditions, not traditions, but the, the um, precedents that have been set by prior cases. So that that's a big chunk of our job. So one, operation of the agency. Two, the, the judicial capacity of our, of our function. And then the third one is engaging the public. And we are elected officials, right? right. I, am, I am a statewide elected official just like the governor is. In fact, right. people really don't, a lot of times don't realize, wait, so people ask me, well, Ryan, what area do you represent? I represent the entire state, Houston to Dallas to Amarillo to Padre Island to El Paso and everywhere in between votes for each of the three railroad commissioners. So so I personally work for everybody in Texas. And part of that job is to get out and communicate with people about what it is we're doing. I mean, you know this and, and some people do, but the oil and gas industry is not only the biggest financial you know, industry in the state of Texas, it's also the fastest growing. Uh, for the last 10 years, just to give you some simple numbers, in 2000 and call it 2005, the state of Texas, let's see, 2008, about 10 years ago, the state of Texas produced about a million barrels of crude oil a day and roughly... 10 billion cubic feet of gas a day. Today, the state of Texas produces nearly 4 million barrels of crude oil a day. Mm -hmm. So four times as much oil and 20 billion cubic feet of gas. So we've doubled our gas capacity. So quadrupled the oil, doubled the gas. And when you look forward another five, six, seven years, most estimates, at least my estimates are that we will add another probably close to 2 million barrels of crude oil production. So we will be comfortably in the fives, maybe even 6 million barrels of crude oil production a day. With that, we'll probably add another 5 billion cubic feet of gas. So someone said, well, how, how big a deal is that really? I mean, 6 million barrels a day of crude oil and 25 billion cubic feet of gas a day would make Texas, if it were our own nation, like the fourth largest hydrocarbon producer in the world next to United States, including Texas, Russia and Saudi Arabia. And that's a big, big, big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the recent boom in the Permian, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I really appreciate a lot of the people within the commission because I've I, did, used to do regulatory compliance. So, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I dealt with uh, Lorenzo Garza a lot, Joe Statuli. There and, you go. Yeah, great experience, uh, very workable, always helped as needed. And uh, so you've got a great group. Well, thank you. We're very proud of them. They are, they are a really good group. I was, to be honest, I didn't know that much about the staff at the commission when I was running for office. And now that I've got there, gotten there, been there for three and a half years, I realize, wow, we really do have a pretty impressive staff. And the level of commitment to doing the state's business, to operating on behalf of the people of the state is really, it's really neat. It's a, it's a neat place to be. So why are there three of you? So it's, it's for that judicial capacity. The right? judicial, yep. okay. When we hear cases, you know, these are some of these are massive cases. I mean, we hear pipeline rate cases that literally have tens of millions of dollars of ramifications, and they're complex cases. So it was originally, in fact, the, the three-commission model was actually set up back when we used to regulate railroad rates. Mm -hmm. but even back then, if you equated that to today, it was still multi-million dollar decisions. So the idea was we need a panel of judges, not just one, who will hear these cases and make judgments on them. And so that model was set in place back in 18, the 1890s, and it's stayed ever since. Yeah, I was going to say probably early 1900s, late 1800s. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and obviously there's three of you, so one's got to make a decision one way or the other. So you have that off vote, right? Right. So you have, yeah, and, and sometimes it happens. We'll have a two to one vote to do something. It's not, it's not very common, but it's all, it's not uncommon. It, it probably every every time we we call it conference instead of court. But every time we're in conference, there's there's it's not uncommon to have a two to one vote on something. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, since we're talking to oil and gas, I mean, so I'm a, I'm sort of a leadership, I'm sort of a, a, a I want to just say passionate about leadership. I'm sort of a, a leadership like study. I mean, I read literally I've probably read 50, 75 different books about leadership, taking notes. I'm writing my own book about leadership right now. And so given the nature of this podcast and given the economic times we're in, I would say this, you know, people coming into the energy industry can often get the sense that this industry is huge and it doesn't change very quickly. And it, it kind of feels like it's like being a part of the Catholic church. I mean, how are you going to change the Catholic church, right? I grew up Catholic, by the way. It's just like, I, I'm, I just show up to church and I follow the rules. And I like to tell people, look, you, you got to realize this industry is so dynamic and the energy, I'll use some other really geeky numbers here. The world uses nearly 600, 600 quadrillion BTUs of energy every year. And that's, that's like such a massive number. No one even knows what that means, but it's just, it's okay. And, and we add about one and a half percent to that every year. This is the planet. And if you look out there and you watch the way the world is changing and specifically in developing areas, man, it is all about the energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything else is second, you know, food, access to food and water, but often energy, I won't say it trumps that, but if you have plenty of energy, the ability to store and utilize and apply energy, you can get all the food and water. You can run your farming systems and your water reclamation systems. So energy is sort of the, the medium in which the world works today. It's, it's, the, it's the trade standard, if you will. I mean, in fact, use oil as an example. There's probably no commodity on the planet that's as globally fungible as crude oil. And so you can look what the value or the price of crude oil is in the, in the UK when we talk about the Brent standard or Canada with the Western Canadian Select or Texas WTI or Saudi standards or South American oil. I mean, everyone is comparing oil. It, that product moves around the entire planet. It's not the same thing with sugar or bananas. <laughs> Those products have vastly different prices all right. over the world because they're not as fungible. So what I would tell your people, this is my piece of advice. There is going to be in our lifetimes, I'm 43 years old and, and especially people who are 20 years old coming into the business today, there is going to be unbelievable changes in the energy industry and hydrocarbons are not going away. Anyone who is talking about, oh man, you know, in 20 years, it's all going to be solar and wind. They're fooling themselves. The world use, the world uses about, about 75, 80% of the world's energy comes from hydrocarbons today. Now coal is phasing out. The economics on coal are not as good as they are on gas and it's just happening. Yeah. But- hydrocarbons, oil and gas in particular, are growing in their percentage of the total world's energy, and it's going to continue to grow. So when people say, hey, don't treat this like, my piece of advice is don't treat this like a job. Treat this as this is your chance to make a difference in the world, to make an impact on the world. And if you find yourself sometimes thinking, oh, that's, that's crazy talk. I can't make a difference in this gigantic corporation or in this huge industry. You could not be more wrong. And I speak from personal experience. The company I started, Pinnacle, that company today is changing the way massive companies think about how they manage reliability. Think about how they manage reliability programs using technology, using workflow processes. And this was just one guy who started a, a company out of his grad. No huge event, no big funders. I didn't have any private equity backing. Just me and $10,000 I'd saved up, started a company. And today that company's out there changing the way this whole industry does business. So you will be shocked about how 
how many opportunities are going to be out there to make an impact. So find your niche, find something you're passionate about and pursue it because it's never been this dynamic, I think, at least in modern history. And so this is our time to do really big things. Excellent advice. Speaking of books, which book would you say influenced you the most? I don't know if I can give one. I'll, I'll give a couple that are big influences okay. on me. One that, that especially as with this podcast, and it's, a, it's an old, a little bit older book. It's called The Magic of Thinking Big. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been around probably, let's say, 40 years. Some of the anecdotes in the book show that way they're kind of written in the, in the sort of 70s and 80s vintage kind of office <laughs> environment. But the, yeah. the, the concepts of really thinking thinking big in your life and inspiring yourself with the way you think about your own personal vision, man, it, it's, it fits, it's timeless. So that's a great book. A more modern book that I like, I mentioned Grit's a great book uh, by Angela Duckworth. There's another book out that I just read a couple of years ago called um, The Go-Giver. It's kind of a book about service, but it's a, it's told in the, in the structure of a, of a fable or, or a parable, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's a guy got by a guy named Bob Berg and his partner, I'm not going to forget his name, but great book, easy read. It's like, couple hours, but really the message of that book is if you really want to have an impact, if you want to be successful, you got to serve other people and make other people's priorities bigger than your own. And the parable that they tell there just really resonates very easily. And it's a fairly, it's relatively modern books, less than 10 years old. I don't think there's any others. Those, those are three. I mean, the gold standard, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people, still a great book. Yeah. I find people more and more finding that book to be a little dated and they're like, man, some of the, some of the ways that Covey talks, Covey, I think Covey wrote that book. Anyway, whoever the author is, the way he, the way he talks are a little outdated, but still the concepts are, are just, they're great concepts. And of course, in another year when my book's out, then mine will be the, my favorite book. <laughs> I'll plug that one. Of so, course. We'll yeah. have to have you back on. Awesome. <laughs> and what would you say is your most used business tool? This is going to sound overly simple, but let me, let me step through it a couple steps. Anytime you take on something big in your life, you should expect you're going to hit obstacles, right? Right. I don't care whether you're starting a company or starting a podcast. Right. I mean, you're going to hit obstacles, right? And it can be very tempting to sort of, we talk about analysis, paralysis, people that, man, I'm, I'm thinking through this and this can, it, it can apply to raising children. I mean, anything, right? Right. The tool, if I could use it this way is there, there's a, Think of it as a process. Let's say, for example, you and I and, and a couple other people were really discussing some some challenge we were facing and trying to get our podcast going or get sponsors or, man, we were meeting funding challenges, whatever. At the end of the day, all we can affect are our actions, right? I can't – people sometimes say, well, all you can affect is yourself. No, that's true. I cannot control myself. How many times have we gotten upset when I didn't want to get upset, right? Right. Or, you know, yeah. But I can control my actions. So – what is helpful to do is, is to, to actually sit down and articulate this. Okay, what are all the possible actions we can take from here, right? Here's action one, action two, action three, action four, whatever. And then really stepping through, okay, what are the, what are the risks? What are the advantages? What are the challenges associated with each of these actions? And it seems like such a basic concept. That's why I said when I first started this, people would go, uh, duh. But, you know, the process of really thinking through what the different options are and then just picking one. Knowing that I may pick one, I may not, I may end up picking wrong or wish I'd pick another one, but look, I got to pick one and move forward. I have found in my career that, that the successes I've had have been more often due to the fact that, that I and my team made decisions that move forward, even though sometimes we, we wished we'd have made a different one in hindsight versus waiting and figuring out 
taking all the time to figure out what the perfect one was. So, so going through an sort of action analysis, if you will, that's been probably the best business tool. And especially if you couple that with what's your vision, right? If you, that would be the other one I would talk about is, is annually and, and monthly and quarterly even saying, okay, when I think of vision, I say, I always look in five years out, 10 years out, as far as I can look and say, what is, where is it I want to be? What is it I need to have done or have accomplished? And then working back to, okay, well, if that's, if that's where I want to be in five years, what do I need to do this year? And let, let's put a measurement on that and let's time bound that. So it becomes a smart goal. And then, all right, well, if I want to move down that step, what's, what's the first? Oh, I step? remember smart goals. There oh, you goodness. go. There you go. It's but, been a while. <laughs> but look, they're real, right? I yeah. mean, every successful person to the, to a person works off of a vision and a set of goals and a set of objectives that are short term. So if I couple, Hey, this is the vision, this is where I'm going. And I'm, I'm going to try not to compromise on that. Now I may change it depending on how times change and my beliefs change or my values change, but this is where I'm going and now aligning my actions. So when a challenge comes or a decision comes, aligning my actions to get me toward that, those together, it always works. I mean, it, once again, it doesn't have to be perfect. If people know that, Hey, I want to, I want to be, I want to, I want to work with Paige because Paige has a vision where she's going. She's, she's pursuing that. She's uncompromising in it. I never doubt the way she's thinking. She wants to bring people along with her. It sounds so simple, yet a lot of people don't do it. And I think it, it absolutely drives us forward in whatever our objective is. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, I'm going to run for railroad commissioner again, <laughs> uh, first of all. In fact, I'll be back on the ballot in 2020. Okay. And so I, I fully expect to still be a railroad commissioner in that time. Now, I have some more specific objectives, some things I'd like to do in terms of educating the public. You know, we, we live in a, a time where 27 million people live in the state of Texas, but less than a million of them really know anything about the energy business, but it affects Texans live lives in such a profound way. And it's hard to teach people that, but how can we go out and share the word about what not the railroad commission is doing, but what the industry is doing in a way that people can get excited about it. Right. I'd also like to, during that time, uh, one of my personal goals is to try to shift the dynamic in politics today. I think it's really disappointing that, so I'm a Republican and every statewide elected official in Texas has been a Republican for 25 years. I'm a very proud Republican, but I'm very disappointed with the way, with the political dynamic today. I mean, you go home and you have you know, dinner with your friends, your family. When the topic of politics comes up, it's never positive. Right. right. Yeah. Even if everybody's sitting at the dinner table agrees, you know, politically, the atmosphere around politics is just full of vitriol. Oh, it's the Democrats' fault. Oh, it's the Republicans' fault. You know, you money-grabbing blah, blah, blahs, you don't want everybody out there to have health care. Oh, you simple-minded liberals, you just want rich people to pay for everything. And I mean, the the once again, I'm a proud, very conservative Republican, but I'd like to see us – Work together? Not just work together, but sharing our ideas in a way that is inspiring, that's forward-looking, that people can say, oh, man. And so, for example, when I run for office in 2020 – I'll be the top state official on the ballot. So you'll have a, the president, the senator, the congressman, and then I'll be the fourth guy down in everybody's ballot in Texas. My goal is that people won't hear me, that when they hear me talk, it will be about things that are inspiring, about how the next generation of leaders grows up, how we serve our fellow man, how this energy industry is going to offer so many opportunities to people from all walks of life. And it, it, people say, well, look, I, I don't really care what the political persuasion is, but I like where that guy's going. Then, man, I hope that we can we can change the dynamic a little bit and have a much more constructive conversation in politics. Even though I, like I said, I'm, I'm certainly cut from a certain political cloth, if you will, and it's yeah. very conservative. I still want to try to get people to 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 come along and work on the same things I'm working on because they believe in the same vision I have, not because I've you know argued more 
viscerally than they have. Right. And, and you're very active in getting people to understand the industry. It, I mean, it took forever to get you on my show. So no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's okay. I understand. <laughs> but, but you're doing a wonderful job and, well, and, and it kind of correlates with what we're, we're trying to do here by I mean, reaching out to people that listen to podcasts, you know, so yeah. this is this has all been great and exciting and um, looking forward to seeing how things progress for you in the future, too. Awesome. What is your most important lesson learned? You know, I'll frame it up this way. We all know that that failure, if you want to call it that, that failure is is a part of life. But what I had to learn was, you know, failure is not only a part of life or, or a part of success. A lot of people think of it like you have to, yeah, you have to be okay with a little bit of failure. I'm telling you, failure, you can't be successful without it. And I'll, you could use some examples in my own life. For example, running for public office. First time I ran for public office actually was not for railroad commissioner. I was, I lived down in Galveston County in Friendswood area. Mm-hmm. And I was, I felt the call. I'm like, man, I think I'm going to run for state representative. My state representative, who I knew, a guy named Larry Taylor, was going to run for the Senate. His seat was going to open up. And I thought, I'm going to run for this. And man, I mean, I felt, I'm, I'm not to get too spiritual, but I felt, man, I, I I think, I feel like I'm being called to do this. I, I think I've been placed in a role. Like the Lord's you know, put me in the right path. Awesome. This is going to be great. And uh, I got crushed. I mean, not like a little bit. And the dude I ran against who, who I, I admired is Greg Bonin, very successful doctor. Greg spent $800,000 in the primary and just wiped the floor with me. So I come out of that and, you know, with all due spiritual respect, thank you, Lord. I was like, Lord, did I hear you wrong? Because apparently I was not supposed to be in public. Office. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is I learned so much from that experience, like not just what it's like to campaign, but what makes a campaign successful. I worked my tail off and failed. But if that had not have happened, then two years later, when this railroad commission seat came up, no one would have called me. I would not have had the confidence to go run for a statewide seat, you know, and just fresh yeah. yeah. And if I'd have won, I probably wouldn't have run either. I would have just stayed a state rep. So the fact that I ran, ran hard and lost perfectly positioned me so that when this seat came open, people said, Hey, Ryan, you know, we haven't had an engineer as a railroad commissioner in 50 years, it would be really cool if you'd run for this. And I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I've got some familiarity, got some contacts. Uh, and so I ran. So I would not be here today without that failure. So once again, not that it was an important thing to accept. It was an important part of the process. So the lesson I'm getting to is learning that failure is not a bad thing, that failure is absolutely a good thing. Well, that- take Abraham Lincoln into account. I mean, he lost five times, I believe, before he won the presidency. So, yeah. I mean... I don't know what the numbers are, but yeah, I mean, he- Something like that. I think he ran for Congress a lot and lost. And, yeah. yeah. Ran for, only only actually served one time in Congress before he went That's right. Home. Yeah. 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 It's amazing how things work out, it right? It is, yeah. What's your favorite podcast? The Oil and Gas Leaders Podcast. Oil and Gas Industry <laughs> Leaders. <laughs> don't pull a mirror turner, goodness. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there's a podcast called the Entree Leadership Podcast. It's put on by- Oh, forgive me. The Dave Ramsey, who does oh, Financial yeah, yeah, Peace yeah. University. Yeah. Dave's got a company and they do an entree leadership year towards towards entrepreneurs. And it's very, very good. They have different kind of thought leaders, different entrepreneurs on there. Oh, he's got podcasts too, man. He's got radio shows and podcasts. He's, he's very successful. Yeah, For he, all of us who are authors and podcast hosts, we can, <laughs> we can look at Dave and say, oh, they're doing something right. Yeah, he's definitely doing something right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Ryan, and finally making it on the show. Well, thanks uh, for having me. If people want to know more about you or get to know more about the Railroad Commission, how could they go about doing that? So our website for the, the website's kind of hard to remember. The easiest thing is just to Google Texas Railroad Commission and we'll pop right up. Let me see if I can do it. 
rrc.texas.gov. .gov. That's right. it. Yeah. Boom. So that's that's one. Just rrc.texas.gov. Easy as just to Google Railroad Commission. You'll you'll will pop right up. I'm easy to find too. Just you can either Google me, Ryan Sitton. That's R Y A N S I T T O N. My website is just ryansitton.com. Couldn't be much easier. And you know, we're as most elected officials, we're active on Twitter and Facebook. And I try to do a good job responding. I'll even do this. I'll give my email address out to people. It's just Ryan at ryansitton.com. So they can email me and if they've got specific questions. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to connect with us and look, that's what we do. I think my most valuable moments as a railroad commissioner have been when I'm engaging the public on serious questions. Hey, why is this disposal well going to go in there? Hey, this blowout was near our community. Can you help make, what, how do we know we're safe? Right. When I go out there, not as a politician, but as an engineer and I'm engaging those communities, that's when, when we're at our best. Perfect. Uh, so you're going to be at OTC next week, huh? Yes. I'm actually not sure what I'm doing next week. I don't manage my schedule, but you know. But I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> but no, I usually am out there for some something or another. I think it's so. the, what, the 50th anniversary. Is There's it? supposed to be all kinds of people. Oh, I'm sure. What are you doing out there? Uh, well, I'll be all over the floor. I'm sure I'll do a couple of interviews. Uh, I think we're going to the NOV Shrimp Boil on Tuesday. Nice. That's always fun because you get to go out and actually get on uh, the land rigs and uh, kind of see how everything, all their technology, it's wonderful. That's awesome. So if you want to go, let me know. Okay, I will. All right. So that concludes this episode. Awesome. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Thanks, Paige. Thank you. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Yeah.